You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit lonocoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. And by Dizzy Pig Barbecue. Visit dizzypigbarbecue.com, use the coupon KIND15, that's K-E-I-N-15, for 15% off your order shipped in the U.S. Both make excellent holiday gifts. Don't wait, folks. Today, I talked to ESPN Sal Palantonio about the state of the NFC East, his thoughts on Washington after having covered three other games. He had some good observations about Kyle Allen and more. Plus, I share a few thoughts and observations of my own. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now about running back Antonio Gibson coming off his big game. Where is he at in his development? Can this continue? And make sure you tune in to see Sal Pal host the NFL matchup show on ESPN, one of my favorite shows on TV insightful and entertaining nobody puts more work into their breakdowns than this group and i asked sal about that anyway now here's my conversation with espn sal palantonio now i'm joined by espn sal palantonio does a little bit of everything for the for the station covering games nfl matchup show and sal before i get into the washington football team the nfc east I do want to plug the NFL matchup show because it is legitimately one of my favorites. You've been the host on there for a while now. And one of the things that I don't think that people quite get with that show is the depth of work that goes into diagramming one play. Can you kind of shed a little bit of light for people listening as to what goes into showing the one play and what went right or wrong? Sure. Well, I've been the host for 19 years and I've... uh... You know, honored to be part of the show with the founding father of the show now, Greg Cosell. Greg was there at the inception of the show in the early 80s with Steve Sable, the late, great Steve Sable. He's always been the executive producer. And Greg is a, um, is, has a brilliant mind for the game, especially the quarterback position. And um, our other analyst is Matt Bowen, a former safety for the Packers and the Redskins, went to Iowa. And, and Matt lends the other. It's really important on that show to have one guy who does the quarterback play and one guy who does defensive back play. I think that really rounds it out nicely. That's why Lou Riddick was so good when he was on the show, John. And actually, yep. you know, uh, for 22 minutes, the preparation begins right after the games are over on Sunday. Monday morning, I get um, a list of ideas from Matt and Greg about what they're thinking. And they literally study just about every play of every game to try to find something in the matchups. We might do five or six games, find something that is indicative of where a team is headed and what this particular matchup will involve. So, you know, let's just look at Philly, Dallas, Sunday night football, a game I'm covering Dallas at the Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field. We'll obviously have to focus on 
the Dallas defense. And we have to pick a play that's indicative of the problems with the Dallas defense. And, and I've, I've asked them to really look at that second and seven from the Washington 48 when Kyle Allen was in the shotgun. If you remember, it was in the second yeah. quarter, about 10 minutes in the second quarter. Kyle Allen's in the shotgun and he hits Terry McCall, McLaurin for a 52-yard touchdown pass, beating the Alabama rookie Trayvon Diggs. And Diggs was actually he Diggs knew he was toast. So yes, he, he he grabbed he grabs, I think he grabbed or held, you know, he held McLaurin at one point, and it was a penalty flag thrown, and he still couldn't stop the play. Um, you know, that was indicative of just a, a blown coverage, uh, you know, a high school coverage that the Cowboys had. When you look at the Cowboys over the course of the season, I think that's really indicative of um, the problems that they've had. So Matt will look at that play, and I've asked him to look at that play. And, you know, they'll go back and they'll look at two or three different angles to try to incorporate it into the essay. And Matt does a breakdown live in the show, live to tape, of um, – of that play and he'll have something written out. But, you know, I, I really implore them, both of them not to read. Uh, it's more like put, put the notes down on paper and match it to the video with your voice. So it sounds more extemporaneous. And, and it's, you know, and, and it, which is, is definitely how it comes across, but I'm also like amazed that like, cause like you talked about with Greg and Greg's been phenomenal for a long time explaining. It's not just that they know it, they know how to explain it. And that's a big key, but it's also the depth too. They know they go to get it right because here are two experts in their field. And I'm just amazed at who else they go talk to, to say, am I seeing it the right way? Just to be, make sure they're right. Cause as you know, and we've talked about this, if you guys aren't right on things, people that you want to have respect you will not do so. Right. The one thing that I always try to promote, John, is that this is the this is the show that the players and the coaches watch. And I get a lot of feedback from players and coaches, or I used to before the pandemic, when I would see them and then say, you know, we saw the show, we saw that piece. Uh, it was very helpful. Or, you know, you missed this. Uh, next time you look at it, make sure you pick this up. So what what I really suggest strongly is that before they get done with an essay or a, a breakdown, that they call the defensive coordinator if they can, or text the offensive coordinator or the head coach, or have a conversation with saying, am I seeing this correctly before they put it down uh, on film? And, and like, yeah, and like I said, I'm just amazed that I just think people need to know the, the depths that they go to, to make that a really good show. But now I want to turn to the Washington football team because you've had a chance to see them now a few times in person and I'm curious from your perspective, what you have seen of this franchise trying to move forward from an ugly year and a tough off season, what you've seen from them this season so far in general. Well, you know, John, I've seen both of their wins, right? They have two wins, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, the Eagles in the opener and Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. So I've seen both of their wins and in both of their wins, it's pretty interesting. Two different quarterbacks won the game. Uh, but what was the common denominator? The common denominator was that this team will fight. This team has some fighting spirit. Uh, I believe that comes from the head coach. Uh, you have a, He has a pretty good staff. They are respected among the players. But I think you have a core group of players, especially on defense, that have some fight in them. I think uh, Holcomb, Bostic, certainly Sweat. 
definitely Chase Young. I, I there, John. There was um, a moment at the end of the first half. Now this is the first half of the first game covering the game in the pandemic, and you could hear Chase Young at the end of the first half screaming to the Eagles as they went into the locker room. <laughs> Hey, you got to play the whole game. You got to play the whole 60 minutes. Now, this is a rookie playing in his first game, talking smack across the field to an Eagles team going into the locker room, thinking the momentum has changed in their favor. They were still trailing in the game. But that told me a lot. A really that was really very indicative of who this team is and, and what they have the chance to become. And you said you talk about it coming from Rivera, and you've had a chance to cover him for a long time. Are you? I'm assuming you're not surprised by that. And also, the other part of that too is what he has just gone through. And this week, he completed his cancer treatments. How much do you think that that helps shape some of that mentality? Oh, I think it's very, very important. You know, the players were wearing those T-shirts prior to the Ravens game. Rivera strong. Rivera went out into the stands. I got a chance to interview him, if you remember, as he went into the stands, which was the first interview that ESPN had gotten uh, with a coach prior to the game. And he was nice enough to to answer a couple of questions from me. It was a very emotional moment from him. Very emotional. I think the players derive a lot of uh, inspiration from him. But, you know, just think about it, John. Pandemic cancer treatment benching the first round pick quarterback wow i mean you know that's a lot that is a lot that's that's enough for three full that's enough for three football seasons and he's done it all in the first seven weeks and and yes he has and it's been i mean that that comes after a summer that was quite eventful here too yes and (laughs) yeah to say the least but when you look at the decisions because that was one of the topics here last week was, is he sending out mixed messages with some of these moves or some of the things he says or mixed signals or whatever? What you know of Rivera, has have you looked at the way he's operated this year as being consistent with the guy you knew in Carolina? Well, I've known him since he was a player. And I, I knew him when he was here in Philadelphia. You know, I think he's not afraid to make the hard call. Uh, he was never afraid to do that. I think that comes from, you know, him – be playing under Buddy Ryan. You know, I think it comes from the fact that, uh, you know, he is a minority head coach uh, who's got a strong family background, strong, strong family ethic, strong military background and ethic, not not afraid to make the tough call. Listen, you, you, you benched Dwayne Haskins uh, in favor of a quarterback who was the quarterback when you got fired in, in Carolina. And chose Dwayne Haskins over Kyle Allen and a guy basically who's coming off a, the most horrific broken leg in the last 25 years in the NFL. So that, that was a gutsy call. But, you know, I was watching Kyle Allen yesterday. Kyle Allen is, is, approaches the game with a cheerfulness yeah. that I think rubs off on the rest of the players. I think he's, he's got his head in the game. He's always smiling. He's very positive young man. He's very upbeat. He's a natural leader on the football field. He may have he may not have exceptional talent or skill, but he's a natural leader. And, and you know, Sal, I, and I heard that about him too in Carolina, how guys liked playing for him. And I think they recognize when a guy may have some shortcomings, but if they see you doing X, Y, and Z over here, they are going to 
get behind you. And I think that's what's a little bit what's going on here. Is he good enough, do you think, to help this team perhaps steal a division title? Well, you know, they're, they're, they're coming up on a tough part of the schedule. I mean, yeah. I'd have to go through it. You know, listen, the key thing is, John, the key thing is he, 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 if he doesn't turn the football over, he had no interceptions. He was sacked for only minus five yards yesterday. The, so that's one. But two, are they having balance on offense? They had 39 rushing attempts yesterday and only 25 passing attempts. So that is a formula for success. Keep his attempts at the 25 to 27 range. You don't even want to get the 30, John. John, I'm telling you, you don't even right. want to get the 30. Don't get the 30. If you can have 35-plus rushing attempts and 25 or under passing attempts, you know, you have a formula for offensive success. Uh, this will be the last question in Washington. I'm going to ask a couple of questions at NFC East and get you out of here. But do you see this team going in the right direction? Forget the record and all that. But are you? do you see it going the right direction? Are you optimistic they can get there? Uh, don't. It's too early to tell. It's too early to tell whether, you know, how many starts does Kyle Allen have now in a Washington football team uniform? How many? Three? Three. Yeah, three. Okay. So ask me that question when he's got eight, because and, remember, and that, yeah. remember in Carolina, he started out good and then finished poorly. Right. Right. Absolutely. How about the team in general? You know, just what they're trying to build. Well, they've got, they've got the building blocks with Gibson and McLaurin on offense. And they've got the building blocks on defense with Bostic, Holcomb and Young. I think those are their best defensive players. You know, I I never was really a fan of Ronald Darby. I think Landon Collins, he he's a good building block. So, you know, they have they have some pieces in place that will allow them to be competitive if they have the right offensive formula. If right. they have to throw the ball too much, John, they're gonna lose games. They're gonna lose games because you can't have Kyle Allen throwing the ball 40 times a game. If he's at 25 to 27, they can win games. His quarterback rating was 111 yesterday. So, you know, that, that that's a winnable game. They just decided, hey, we're going to control the game against a team that's unraveling before our eyes. We don't have to be flashy. We don't have to be crazy. We're going to give Gibson 20, 20 carries. We're, we're going to give Barber, the big back, 10 carries. We're going to sprinkle in McKissick, um, and we're going to, we're just going to – if Scott Turner can do that, then they have enough to be competitive. But if they are behind in a game, you know, and, the, you know, I go back to that Ravens game. You know, that play fake that Lamar Jackson had that fooled Bostic so badly that wound up with a long touchdown run up the middle, you know, that – you have those kinds of lapses, you're, you're not going to win games. But, you know, the Ravens are obviously a team – headed for the postseason, and the Cowboys obviously are collapsing. That, that's, that's to say the least. What about with the NFC East at the trade deadline? We have that coming up. What do you see these teams doing? Do you, I mean, are Dallas and Philly, are they going to be sellers, or what do you, you think is going to happen there? Well, you know, I think it's really going to be an interesting thing in Dallas, for sure. If the Cowboys go to Philly and lose – again, like they lost the last two games. If they have three dumpster fires in a row, then they've got to be sellers, right? Right. 
when it, when you, is the deadline? Is it this Wednesday or next Wednesday? I, I didn't hear next what, next week. It's next next week. Yeah, I thought yes. you said this Wednesday. It's next. No, Wednesday. no, no. Sorry, next week. Yeah, yeah, next Wednesday. So next Wednesday. I mean, this Sunday will tell a lot. I mean, you know, Dallas is not going to trade players within their division. They're not going to do that. Uh, although, you know, the Eagles could certainly use a couple of the players that the Cowboys have, for sure. Um, I know the Eagles would love Michael Gallup. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's no question about that. And, and, you know, but the Cowboys are not in a position to trade any of their offensive linemen. So um, I, I don't think, I don't think the Washington football team is going to be a seller, but I could see where the Cowboys would be. And I could see where the Giants would be too. You know, it's kind of interesting. The second half of that first game was super important to both these football teams, Philadelphia and Washington. Absolutely. And I think the hard part, like for this team, is a lot of the, the guys who have value to other teams are the guys that they want to keep. And I don't know that they're really, outside of Ryan Kerrigan, whom they seem to want to keep, I don't know that anybody's going to be attracting that kind of attention. But what do you think happens in Dallas? Because it's just, from an outside perspective, it just sounds, like you said, a dumpster fire. And there's been a lot of heat on Mike Nolan coaching that defense. What do you think happens there? Anything? Well, I mean, when Mike McCarthy said after the game that he was surprised that nobody came to the rescue of of, uh, of the quarterback. Dalton. Dalton, yeah. I mean, good. I've never heard that before. No. I never heard that before, John. When that, when that, When McCarthy answered that question in the manner in which he answered it, uh, I called Sports Center right away and I said, hey, um, this is like when I heard Ricky Waters say he wasn't going to go over the middle and catch a football against Tampa for who, for what? That was, that, that's a head, yeah. that was a headline. You know, you and I, old newspaper hands, we understand when we see a headline yeah. and we see a story that is going to carry into the next week. I don't know if you saw Dan Orlovsky on Sports Center Sunday night. He just absolutely crushed the Cowboys calling him a team with no heart. So I, I think today and Wednesday will be very telling, you know, how do these players answer their coach who called them out for not coming to the rescue of their quarterback, Andy Dalton prone on the ground after John Bostic nearly decapitated him. You know, it, I've heard players say that. I haven't heard a coach say that. Yes. And and it, to me, it was like when I was watching the game, I even said something, maybe it was to you at halftime or something, but Dallas just looked completely dispirited when they were on the field. Like, and I, you know, I've seen teams that get like that. It's usually not at this time of the year. Well, it's hard to say dispirited, you know, because we're, we're up in the press box. But right. I, I would use a different word. I would say they were dysfunctional. Yeah. They were they were dysfunctional. Um, last thing I want to ask too, then going to the division race, and this is going to sound kind of funny, but Dallas or excuse me, Philly Washington's the last game of the year. Do you think that's going to be for the division title? So I'm looking at their schedule now, right? I mean, it's it's really too bad they lost last Sunday to the yeah. Giants like they did, because I think then we're talking about a different situation. Because they were never in the games against the Ravens or the Rams. They weren't in either one of those games. And it, it looks like that that Arizona game back in September was a, a foreshadowing of how good Arizona is going to become. So they're on the bye week now. And uh, then the eighth, they have the Giants, correct? 
Correct. Yeah, and they have so that's a winnable game at home. That you would actually have to say that's a must-win game. Then if they can go to Detroit and win a game, then they have Cincinnati at home, then Dallas. If they can get three of the next four, because they're going to lose at Pittsburgh and at San Francisco, right? Right. Uh, and then they have Seattle coming in, and, and Seattle is a loss probably. So they really need to win three of the next four to have this conversation about whether they can win the division. But, you know, John, the Eagles schedule is not much easier. No, it's not. It's not much easier. I mean, I'm I'm a big believer on, all right, who are you playing and who is your quarterback? So the Eagles have Dallas. That's a winnable game. They've, they're on they're on their mini-buy right now. They have Dallas, and then they have the Giants, and then they're at Cleveland. The Eagles need to win the next three because then, they, then it's Seattle, Green Bay, and New Orleans, and I could easily see them losing the next three. Yep. Sal, it's just amazing where this division has gone. And, you know, you're a longtime NFC East observer. It's got to be really, really odd. It's odd for me. It's got to be odd for you. Well, you know, people say, like people yesterday, John, was saying, what are you doing at this game? I'm saying, well, you know, I've covered the NFC East my entire career, and I'm not going to stop now, A. And B, these games are intriguing because there's so much at stake. Everybody, Everybody in the division literally is mathematically alive. And, you know, this is the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington football team. And so there's there's big fan bases involved and people are interested in what's going to happen in this division because somebody's going to go to the playoffs out of this division. And we've never seen anything like this. So whenever you have a story that's unprecedented and there's real tension in the air like there was yesterday, you want to be there to cover that. I think it's I think it's fascinating what's going on with this division. I think it's intriguing. I think it's fascinating. I think that people um, are going to be riveted throughout the year. No question. And you know what? So I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's a bad division, but it's a really good story because it is very unique. So, listen, I appreciate your time. Always, always love um, hearing you do anything on TV and the NFL matchup show and seeing your person. Thanks a lot for coming on. Bad division, but good story. Hey, John, I'm stealing that. You're going to hear that on the matchup show on Sunday, and I'm going to give you credit. There I, you go. I, I, I steal, you know I I'll be watching. All right. Go ahead. Line, brother. All right. Go, go ahead. I'll be watching. Thanks, Sal. All right. After this break, I'll be back with my thoughts and observations. Why is Chase Young dropping into coverage, and what's any deadline chatter? You've heard me talking about Lono Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lono Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, lonocoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right, put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E. O-A-K, coffee.com 
Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Welcome back. Now here are a few thoughts and observations. Let's start with the trade deadline talk, which is coming up next week. As of a day or so ago, nobody was calling Washington about really anybody, and that means Ryan Kerrigan, Dwayne Haskins, no one. I've said this before, but they don't really have a lot of tradable assets. Yes, of course they would listen if somebody called, but outside of the players they want to keep and build around, I don't know who's going to draw that kind of attention where it'd be worth it for them to trade. I've said before, I do think Kerrigan would probably welcome a trade. I also know that Washington, with Washington still in the race, silly as it may sound, it's a fact, they'd like to hang on to him. He's valued, too, for his leadership, plus he still helps them on the field. Unless something changes and an offer bowls them over, I would expect him to stick around. The other thing is, again, they're trying to win something here. Again, you can say it's silly, but that's what that's the situation they're in. So are you really going to give Kerrigan up? For a, for a sixth, seventh round pick, I don't know. So if you don't get more than a late round pick for him, I don't think they would. Um, you could recoup that in a compensatory draft pick if he indeed signs somewhere else in the offseason. And of course, that depends on how many players Washington signs, and that pick wouldn't come around till 2022. But that's what you're looking at. With Haskins, the lack of interest is telling. Word gets around on guys, though I do wonder if some team would give up a low round pick to bring him on board. I've heard Haskins has been good behind the scenes since, you know, in the last couple weeks, but or, or since he got back from his illness, whatever. Um, we'll see. I know there were some there who certainly mentioned how supportive both Alex Smith and Kyle Allen were of him this summer. They wanted to see that reciprocated now. In 2015, when RG3 was benched, the way he handled it, I think, has helped him stay in the league now. And, of course, what he's doing up in Baltimore, handling it there, has helped him as well. I know he's out of the league for a year, but he did stay out of the spotlight during the year where he was benched and really just focused on his job. The only time he talked to us was after a game in which he was active and, and, and he ended up talking to us because by rule, by league rule, if a guy dresses and you request him, he can talk. Um, Haskins needs to take that same approach so he can stick around and see if maybe he can mature as an NFL quarterback and somebody who lives and breathes the position all year. Um, but for now, unless something changes, I would expect him to be here. Unless they get to a point where he's just not handling things behind the scenes the way they want, then I think they'd really look to get rid of him. Um, of course, something that always happened. Just because no one is called yet now or now doesn't mean they won't in the next few days. It takes one team to be kicking it around internally and then to make an offer next week. Usually teams have some idea right now about who might be interested because there's usually a kicking of the can at some point, but that hasn't happened, but that is the situation as of now. I know people don't like to see Chase Young dropping into coverage. It gives them flashbacks of past years with other pass rushers. And one thing, always keep in mind, in a 3-4, every outside linebacker is going to drop into coverage at some point. Otherwise, you're rushing five every play. Now, you can limit how often one guy drops into coverage, and that's always been a key, but it's also the reality of that alignment. In a 4-3, the ends aren't going to drop or don't have to unless you want to run some sort of zone blitzes. Now, you can drop a guy in the middle so it doesn't always have to be young, and I'm guessing because of his athleticism, that's why they use him in that role. He does have an all-around game, Um, and I'm with you. You don't want to see it happen too much, but on an occasional situation. I think that's where you're looking at. I know against Dallas, the first time they did this, they recorded a sack. The line paid attention to Young, and when he dropped, 
it allowed two blitzers from the other side to create an overload or actually four one-on-one situations. That was the play in which Cole Holcomb steamrolled Ezekiel Elliott. On the other side of the line, Dallas was blocking one guy with two with two blockers. So it created a good situation for them. The second time they ran it, they got no pressure because the line was ready for it. The next time, which is about six plays later in the same series, it resulted in Montez Sweat being unblocked in, in part because the line slid the other way and there was an overload on that side that was created. Dalton unloaded the ball fast and they got six yards. Young's dropping into coverage wasn't an issue on the play and it did create a pressure. I'm not saying you do this a ton. That's not what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong, but I saw that a lot about why is he dropping into coverage. That's why though. Three times one half is a lot. I know it happened more after that, but it can work and it did create some opportunities for others. I think one thing to know about Chase Young, he's very much a team guy, so he'll do whatever. But again, I'm with you. You don't want to see it a ton, but I, but it is like that zone bliss. You're going to drop somebody and you don't want to drop Montez Sweat because he can't, I don't think he can handle the coverage role. And we saw that last year. Young has also played the run exceptionally well, in part because he gets upfield so fast. If the ball is coming to his side, he either forces it back inside right away or makes the running back take a wider angle to get outside. That happened a few times against Dallas. I also like how into these games Young is. I've seen him with Kyle Allen coming off the field, cheering him on, encouraging people. He's active on the sidelines. This stuff matters to him, and it's the same situation with Terry McLaurin. It's what you want. Always remember one thing his defensive line coach from college, Larry Johnson, the esteemed line coach at Ohio State, said about him in a story I wrote this summer. Johnson said, he told me, he said, the great ones don't need to be pushed. Young has never needed to be pushed. And I'll be honest, when I heard, when he told me that, the first guy I thought of was Haskins. They do have to push him. Now, he can push himself in the offseason, but during the season, they have to push him. Two staffs, staffs, not just a head coach, have fretted about how much they had to push him. Regardless, I will always remember that quote, and I apply it to anybody. The great ones don't need to be pushed. And I, I hope for Haskins' sake that he gets it figured out because nobody wants to see a kid um, not get it figured out. He's a good kid. We'll see what happens. Anyway, that was more. that's supposed to be more about Chase Young, so I apologize for going back to Dwayne Haskins. I know some of you probably get tired of that. Anyway, it's such a big position. We all know that. Anyway, and Kyle Allen... Washington has found what looks like to, what looks to be a solid backup. I mentioned the other day on the podcast that Washington has found a lot of backups this year who should provide good future depth. They just need more frontline starters and playmakers. If you heard my podcast with ESPN Panthers reporter David Newton after Allen took over as a starter, you'd know that with with um, that the kid was popular in, in in the Carolina locker room. You heard Sal Pal talk about how players reacted to him on the sidelines. But he shows humility and has worked hard to get here. He was a disappointment in college. He wanted, you know, the, the top quarterback recruit, getting benched at two different schools. But he didn't lose belief in himself, and he kept working. And talking to front office types and coaches, they know that players will accept you a lot more if you take that approach. If you don't do that, they're not going to accept you unless you make big plays on Sundays. Deshaun Jackson would skip a lot of offseason workouts. And you know how many players it bothered? Almost none when you talk to him. Why? Because... They, he made plays on Sunday. I know Pierre Garçon used to have an issue with the coaches for what they let him get away with, but he and Deshaun were good, and he also knew that Deshaun made plays. That's what matters. Allen isn't a playmaker, but he's good to have around, and like I said, he, he should be a good future backup for them. If Washington truly wants to think he can win a division title, they have to win three of their next five games. Considering it's against, it's against the Giants, Lions, Bengals, and Cowboys, that's a realistic possibility. 
with Pittsburgh, San Francisco, and Seattle up after that, there's little margin for error. I think they beat the Giants, and man, Dallas looked like the worst team in the NFL last week. That means splitting with the Lions and the Bengals. Not unrealistic. I think it will be tough, though. What I'd like to see after that is being a lot more competitive against the better teams. You can't beat these dregs and lose by two touchdowns every time you play a solid team. Um, they're not in a clash where you can expect them to really expect them to win those games. There's no reason why you can't expect maybe an upset, but to realistically to go against those high-powered teams, going to be real tough. They're just not close to that level, but you can't expect them to be more competitive. You'd like to see one of those games come down to the, the last minutes of a fourth quarter. Even if they lose, you can say, well, at least there was progress there. I'll be curious to see the impact on Ron Rivera now that he's done with his cancer treatments. Now, this last round of chemo will take a lot out of him. It has always sounded like this is the hardest one to deal with. But once they get through the Giants game, if he can get back to some semblance of normalcy, it will help. He hasn't missed a lot of days, but he has missed a lot of time. And it's admirable what he's done. But there's also an impact when you have to leave around 5 or 6 in the afternoon on most days because you're too fatigued. He admitted all that. It's understandable. But there are trickle-down effects. For example, if a player has a problem with his position coach, let's say the DL, who the defensive line, whatever, then they go into Rivera during this period knowing what he's going through and knowing he might not be in the building, I think they'd be a little bit reluctant to do that. And I've heard that's been the case for some players. With no GM to turn to, where do they go? Where do their agents go? That's what happens. So it'll be good for Rivera and the team to get back to some normalcy with his schedule and his ability to coach all day. He's a guy who likes to be very active popping into meetings, being transparent, the door open policy. It's hard to do that in his current state as much as he wants. It's kind of amazing how much um, has been working against this team this season. You don't get a pass for a year, but everyone there could use a normal offseason followed by a year in which their coach doesn't have cancer. I know every team has been in a bad spot because of the pandemic, but this team certainly has had to deal with just a little bit more. That's why even though the schedule gets tougher in a few weeks, I do think you maybe you could expect to see some improvement in those games. The young kids can't cling to that excuse more that they're young and life should return to somewhat at a somewhat more sane level. Last one, Morgan Moses isn't a pro bowler, but he's he's quietly been having a fine season. You can the penalties are way down for him. But what I've liked with him is how much he tries to mentor the young players, and that's been true over the last couple of years. He's talked often with Haskins and shared his knowledge with other young players, such as Terry McLaurin and Chase Young. He told McLaurin that he needed to be more of a vocal leader. While Urban Meyer considered McLaurin one of the best leaders he's ever coached, it's more from the standpoint of how he works, what he does on the field, how selfless he plays. But McLaurin is now understanding what more he can do here, and that's being a leader. But I like how Moses, Moses has been a veteran willing to tutor the young kids. Again, I thought he was a big help for Haskins last year. I still think he is. I think Haskins needs somebody that can still stay in his corner and provide some encouragement. And I think everybody needs that. And when you're playing this sport and you get and have a public benching like that, I think you really need a guy like that. Moses has been there for a lot of guys. I used to love making all of my own spices. Now, I love reaching for one of Dizzy Pig's craft seasonings. Based in Manassas, Virginia, they grind their spice combinations daily, and it's easy to see why they've built a loyal following over the past 20 years. Dizzy Pig owner Chris Capel has won 15 championships on the Pro Barbecue Tour using only their products. And I've heard from other pitmasters on the Barbecue Tour that insist on Dizzy Pig. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. 
Just recently, I cooked a ribeye with their cow lick seasoning. Fantastic flavor. My wife really likes the mole and the Peruvian, and the popular dizzy dust is truly all-purpose. And if you're cooking turkey during the holidays, you have to use their Mad Max turkey rub. It's seasonal, so you can buy it now until January. With 27 different blends, there is a seasoning for just about any recipe or cooking technique. Get 15% off your online order shipped in the U.S. if you use the coupon KIM15, that's K-E-I-M-15, at DizzyPigBBQ.com. That's D-I-Z-Z-Y-P-I-G-B-B-Q.com. That's it for this week. Thank you to Sal Palantonio for coming on. Be sure to check out the NFL matchup show on ESPN this weekend and every weekend. And thanks as always to you for listening and tuning in all the time. And thanks also to our sponsors, Dizzy Pig Barbecue and Lono Coffee. The next podcast will be out Tuesday. I'll talk to you next time.